0: Well, my name is uh, Drew Tucker. And I'm Brooke Tucker. We learned that there's about 7,000 people dying each day in in Europe that have not heard the word of God or are, are dying without believing in Jesus Christ. But when we talked to that missionary in Romania, they were the only missionary couple left in Romania, and they had a, a huge need. Him and his wife had just been praying a few nights before, like, God, just show us, like, what what are we yeah. supposed to do? Are we, we're the only ones here, are we supposed to stay? And then he's like, literally the next day, I got your, your email asking if there was a need in Romania, yeah. so. When we get to Romania, we will go to areas in need and plant strong Baptist churches. We just need people to pray that We continue to follow God's will, continue to believe in Him, that He's going to take care of all of our needs. Also, another thing that you can be praying for is the people that we're going to be working with um, for the hearts of the Romanian people and anyone else we would come in contact with, that their hearts would be softened to receive the gospel um, and that our work there would be fruitful for however long God calls us there.
1: Man, Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? We good? I love Drew and Brooks' uh, story. Uh, we've shown a longer version of that video uh, before, but I'm just so impressed by their willingness to respond to God's calling on their life, and that's kind of what we'll be uh, talking about this morning. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Uh, Pastor Ronnie got us through the end of uh, Acts chapter 20, and so we'll continue our story uh, there. While you're flipping there, I thought I'd tell you a a quick story to introduce our topic today. Uh, Does anybody remember a life before they were married? Maybe that, that season of life, like right after college, your first real job? You know what I'm talking about? What do you remember about that season of life? You were broke. You were flat broke. If you, if you really think about it, like that's, a, that's the season in life where you're just trying to figure it out, and you are uh, broke. And I was reflecting on that season uh, in my wife and I's life. My wife Taylor and I have been married for uh, a little over 10 years now. And, but when we started dating, uh, we lived in two different cities. She lived in Washington, D.C. She was working for the government there, and I lived in Tallahassee, Florida. is my hometown. And so we were doing the long-distance thing. And that meant a, a lot of travel, and so we were, we were living paycheck to paycheck, both of us, she worked for the government, I said, so we were living paycheck to paycheck, and um, we would save up all that we could for six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, whatever it took, and then one of us would come visit the other, we would just take turns uh, doing that. Uh, and I remember one time in particular, it was my turn to go visit her, and that paycheck hadn't stretched quite as far as I had hoped, and so we, you know, we were on a tight, tight budget uh, to make this trip, uh, and at that time... Uh, my hometown, the airport there isn't very big at all, and so uh, I would oftentimes fly out of Jacksonville to, to get to Washington. And it was about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from my hometown to Jacksonville. And so the, the trick was always, well, how am I going to get to Jacksonville so I can catch the more affordable flight uh, up north? Uh, and the, the other issue I ran into is, at the time, I drove a 1993 Ford Bronco, uh, which, if you've been around for a while, it's the OJ Mobile. It was fantastic. Uh, The only thing that was not fantastic about it was that I got it like eight miles to the gallon or something absurd like that. And so it would cost me more money to drive to Jacksonville and back than it would to actually fly to Washington, D.C. And so my sister kindly let me drive her car uh, one time. And I remember going on the trip and uh, my paycheck for the week hadn't quite hit the bank account yet, so it was pretty close to zero. And my sister's car had this fancy uh, thing, it was fancy for the time, that showed you how many miles until empty you were. Most of your cars have that now, but back then this was a big deal and I thought it was super cool. Uh, and I was seeing those numbers tick down as I drove back, uh, from, back home from Jacksonville for my, my incoming flight. And I was watching the numbers on the dashboard say how many miles to empty, and noticing they didn't exactly match up with how many miles the highway was saying to home. And there was a discrepancy there, and I, you know, my, my panic level starts to rise. And another just brilliant uh, set of planning, I had forgotten my cell phone charger uh, in Washington, so my phone was almost out of battery. Uh, middle of the night, driving, driving on Interstate 10 between Tallahassee and, and Jacksonville, and I'm starting to panic. And so I just sent one text message to my best friend. I said, hey, I'm at mile marker, whatever it was. The gas tank says empty. Call me in the My phone's about to die. Call me in the morning. If I don't answer, come looking for me and start here. And that was my, my just cry, my signal flare. And we're just going to see what happens. Uh, but by the grace of God, I don't know if there's Holy Spirit in the gas tank or what, uh, I coasted in the last 20 miles with the dash saying zero miles to empty. I don't know how it happened. Still a miracle, uh, but the Lord provided. I did all sorts of crazy stuff in that season of life, Uh, because I was willing to get where I was going. I wanted to go see uh, my girl. I was willing to do whatever it takes, uh, risk life and limb to get up there. And as we're going to see in our story this morning, the Apostle Paul has a similar uh, approach. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get where he's going. And so that's where we're going to be in Acts chapter 21 verses 1 through 36 today. This is a long text, and so I'm not going to read all 36 verses, but I'm going to do my best to summarize uh, this this section for you, and then we'll highlight some verses as we go along, if that's okay. So you'll remember last week uh, in our our text that the Apostle Paul, he's finishing up his third missionary journey. He's been going all over Asia, um, planting churches and sharing Christ with people, and the Lord is doing a work. Uh, Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ uh, in in ways they never imagined possible, and Paul is now decided to go to Jerusalem. He's felt the Holy Spirit called him to Jerusalem, and he's got a couple of things he needs to do. He needs to deliver a donation uh, that, uh, that has been raised for some widows that are in Jerusalem. He'd like to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem with the Christians there. And he also, his ultimate goal is to get to Rome by way of Jerusalem. He wants to keep on going and make his way uh, to Rome. And so that's Paul's mission, and he's working his way up there. And so Paul hops on a boat and he works his way uh, through the Mediterranean. He stops in a port here and a port there. And, and finally they come to a place uh, called, uh, called Tyre. And the, the ship he's on needs to unload its cargo in Tyre. And so they stay there for a week. And they have one week in the city. And the, the ship unloads its cargo. And Paul finds some other Christians in that place to connect with. He finds some other believers. And he, he meets with them and uh, stays with them and eats with them and worships with them. And, and they send him off. While he's there, though, this group of Christians warn him. The Holy Spirit tells them by by way of prophecy, hey, in Jerusalem, Paul, you're going to find trouble. You're going to find chains, and you're going to be arrested. And so they begin to plead with him once they realize what's coming. Don't go, don't go. But Paul is determined, and he says, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to keep moving forward. And so he does. He presses on. Uh, He continues uh, traveling by boat uh, to another couple of cities, uh, and he finally ends up in Caesarea, which is getting closer to Jerusalem. And he he stays there in Caesarea with Philip, uh, the evangelist who led the Ethiopian eunuch uh, to to faith earlier in the book of Acts. Also, Philip was one of the seven chosen to serve uh, when the issue with the widows and the food distribution came up, you remember, earlier in the book of Acts. So he stays with Philip. Philip has some daughters who prophesy, uh, and Paul also meets This prophet named Agabus, which we've seen also in our text before. He meets this prophet Agabus. And Agabus goes through this extensive prophecy, this kind of elaborate display with Paul. He takes Paul's belt off. I thought about doing that for you guys, but it felt risky. So anyways, he takes Paul's belt off and he wraps his own hands around, uh, wraps the belt around his hands and his feet. And he tells to Paul, he says, listen, the man who owns this belt is going to be bound just like this by the Jews in Jerusalem. It's a warning from the Holy Spirit. That chains await him in Jerusalem. And so again, Paul's friends plead with him don't go, don't go, don't go. But Paul goes. He resolves to go. He gets to Jerusalem and he meets with James uh, and the other elders in the city of Jerusalem and he shares with them all that God has been doing in the Gentiles, all that uh, the people who've come to faith in Christ uh, across Asia Minor and, and the good news of what the gospel is doing in that area. And they rejoice with him and they celebrate with him, but they also have a warning of their own for Paul. The James and the Jerusalem elders, they tell him, listen, Paul, there's a controversy afoot. People are saying that you're calling people to walk away from their Jewish customs when they become Christians. You're, people are saying that when, they, when you're teaching that they should abandon the law of Moses and abandon their Jewish identity and totally forsake all of that. And so here's what we want you to do. Paul, we want you to go to the temple. We want you to make a sacrifice. We want you to take these four guys with you uh, and help them with their Nazarite vow, pay uh, for their sacrifice as well, and go with them to the Jerusalem temple. And by doing that, by showing up in the temple, that will put everybody at rest. That'll let everybody know, hey, you're not really forsaking Moses. You're not really doing those things. And so Paul agrees uh, to do that, and he goes through with it. He takes the vow and goes through the purification ritual. uh, And uh, he's in the temple but here's the deal. Paul's steps to pacify the people that were against him, they didn't work. And they stirred up the crowd very similar to the way they stirred up the crowd against Jesus. The Jews, uh, it says the Jews from Asia, stirs up, stir up the crowd against Paul. And they begin to lie about Paul and say that he took Gentiles into the temple when he didn't. And they, they create this frenzy. And they accost Paul and begin to beat him and attack him. Uh, and finally, the uproar kind of reaches uh, the Roman authorities. And so they run down with some, with some guards and centurions. And they basically arrest Paul, uh, kind of saving his life by arresting him. They, they, they tie him up and bind him, just like Agabus predicted. Uh, and they take him away, really saving his life. But now he's in jail for creating this uproar. And that's, that's where our text ends this morning. And so if you're a note taker, we're going to talk about three different sections. We're going to talk about Paul's travels. We're going to talk about Paul's uh, meeting with the Jerusalem elders. We're going to talk about Paul's arrest and, and hopefully find three things that God may have to say to us from those uh, sections. And so my first point I want to point out is this, is that there is a cost to sending. There's a cost of sending. Paul goes, as I told you, he goes on this journey and all along the way, He's greeted with people pleading with him, don't go, don't go. And he even says at one point in, uh, in verse, uh, what verse is that? In verse 13, he says, uh, Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but to also die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. We see in our text this morning a scene of, of people's friend, or Paul's friends pleading with him, don't go, don't go. We don't want you to go. But Paul is resolute, and what is fascinating to me is is noticing just the the pain and the cost that's involved in sending people on mission for the Lord. Paul's missionary journeys cost him a great deal uh, personally. He was separated from people he cared about. He was torn apart from his relationships and from friends and churches that he loved, all because God had called him to go. He says in this text, he says, why are you breaking my heart? He goes, this is already hard. In other words, you're making it harder by pleading with me to stay. Paul knows he's called, so he knows he has to press on. Pastor Ronnie preached last week in in Acts chapter 20. Paul said this. He says, now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I'll encounter there, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting on me. And so this is Paul's pattern. He's on this journey, and everywhere he goes, he gets a warning that chains and afflictions are awaiting him. It's like the, the, the good guys in the, in the horror movie, the ones that die early, though. They, they, make this, they, they get all the signs, and they still don't do it, right? This is Paul. Every, everywhere he goes on this road trip, people are saying, hey, chains and afflictions are awaiting you. Chains and afflictions are awaiting you. He goes, okay, see you later, and he keeps on going. We don't get it, and his friends don't get it. They're like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Here's why, Paul says. He says, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I know chains and afflictions await me, but God is calling me, and I have to go. He doesn't say, I'm looking forward to it, can't wait, pumped about it. He says, I know this is going to be hard, but God is calling me. And the reality is God often calls us away from people who love us to send us to people who need him. God often calls us away from people who love us to people who need him. And that's what God does to Paul. He calls them away from people that Paul loves and that love Paul because he has a mission for him. God's been doing it since the creation of the world. He called Abraham out of his people and sent him to a place he didn't know. He's done it here with the Apostle Paul. He did it with Jim Elliott. He did it with Adoniram Judson and missionaries throughout the history of the world. He's done it with Drew and Brooke Tucker out of our own church family. God calls people out of the places where they belong and sends them to places that need the message of the gospel. That's just what he does. And it's not easy. It's not always fun. It costs us something. It costs us losing people we care about deeply. It costs people who go the comforts of home, the peace and security and the friendships and the relationships that they have here. But he calls us, and when God calls us, church, we've got to go. If God calls you, you've got to be faithful to say, yes, Lord, I will go. And if God calls people from among our church family, we've got to be as a church saying, yes, we'll send them. No, we don't want to lose them, but yes, we'll send them. Some people God calls to go to the nations. Other people he, call, other peoples he calls to go to cities uh, all over our country to help plant new churches in places that need them. Some people he may call, some of you, to help plant uh, churches or, or campuses in our own city. And God may call you just to leave the community group that you're comfortable in and start a new one in a new part of town because we need one there. Or God just may call you to share Christ with your neighbor. But wherever you are, God is going to call you to step out in faith, and our answer has to be, Yes, and it's going to be a little painful. We're going to cry when Drew and Brooke Tucker leave, but we'll be rejoicing with them as we cry with them because they've been obedient to what God's called them to do. And the second point this morning is this: is there's a a cost of relationship. There's a cost to relationship. As our story continues, uh, Paul meets with James and the elders in Jerusalem, and he's given them a report of all that's, that's happened in their ministry, and uh, he's sharing with them all the good news of people coming to faith, and they rejoice together. Uh, but then James shares the bad news that people are upset, people are angry with you, uh, people uh, are saying things that aren't true about you, and, and, and they're stirring up division and controversy. And so they, they make this plan for, for him basically to... Uh, to take these men and to, and to make this vow in the temple. Uh, and here's how, here's how it goes in Acts 21, verses 23 and 24. This is what James says. He says, Therefore, do what we tell you, Paul. We have four men who have made a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. And so James gives him this suggestion. He says, here's the the plan we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create almost like a show uh, that that Paul is not stirring up division and controversy. James also goes on in this passage to remind Paul uh, that he had given similar advice. The elders of Jerusalem had given similar advice to the Gentile believers of ways that they could not offend their Jewish brothers. Uh, And so we, we studied that back in Acts chapter 10. And this conversation is so fascinating to me. Because really what we're having here, what James and Paul are having is a conversation about Paul laying down his rights. Paul did not have to do any of these things. Paul did not have to go through with any of this sacrifice, head shaving, vow, purification rites, going to the temple. He was exempt from all of those things. Why? Because he's a Christian. In Christ, Jesus has fulfilled all of the law for us. He's fulfilled all of our temple obligations. He's fulfilled all of our sacrifices. He's fulfilled all of our purification needs. In Christ, as believers, we don't need to do any of this stuff. And so Paul could have flat refused. Paul could have said, No, I'm free in Christ. I don't have to do that. I'm not doing it. They could be mad at me if they want to. That's probably what I would have done. But Paul instead goes, Okay, I'll do it. I find that so fascinating. What Paul is doing is what Christians uh, are oftentimes called to do. Christians are often called to lay down their rights, even when they're not required to, for the sake of the gospel. Christians are often required to lay down their rights for the sake of the gospel. And that's what Paul says I'll do. Paul says, for the sake of the unity of this church... For the sake of the gospel witness in this city, I'm going to lay down what I'm allowed to do, what I'm free to do, and instead go above and beyond for the sake of my relationship. He laid down his rights for the sake of relationship. He wasn't required to do these things, but he did it anyways. He explains his philosophy later in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this. He says, Although I am free from all and not any slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though myself, I am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one under the law, or like, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. He says again, to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that, my, by, so that I may, by every possible means, save some. And he says, I do all of this because of the gospel so that I may may share in the blessings. This is Paul's approach. I'll lay down my rights for whoever I have to in order to share Christ with them. It means that much to me. Those who love the Lord, who love the gospel, and who care about the unity of the church and their witness to outsiders, those people, these people are always willing to lay down their rights for the sake of others. The relationship matters more to them than their liberties. And I wonder today, is that true of me? Is that true of you this morning? Are you willing to lay down your rights for the sake of others? Theologian F.F. F. Bruce is commenting on this passage. He says this, I love the way he phrases this. He says, a truly emancipated spirit like Paul's is not in bondage to its own emancipation. A truly emancipated spirit like Paul is not in bondage to its own emancipation. In other words, people who are free in Christ Aren't, aren't ruled by their freedom and have to flaunt their freedom all the time and do whatever they want whenever they want. Instead, they lay down their rights for other people. What does this look like practically in our lives? Well, for missionaries, we've been talking about uh, missionaries a little this morning. For missionaries, a lot of times, that looks like changing the way you dress or, or what you eat or, or the language you use in, in foreign countries so that you might gain a relationship and an audience with people, right? If, you, if you're called to be a missionary in, uh, in say, a Muslim country, Uh, running around in in khaki shorts in your golf polo is probably not going to be the most effective way to connect with people and reach. You're going to have to change your dress a little bit. You're going to have to change your style a little bit to fit in with the culture so that you can protect the relationships you have. Do you have the right to wear your Nike golf polo? Absolutely, but it's not going to be very effective. And so the mature believer, the believer who cares about the gospel is going to lay down that right for the sake of the other person. Maybe here locally, domestically, There are smaller ways where God might call you to lay down your rights for the sake of someone else. He might ask you to change your eating habits or your drinking habits around certain people. He might ask you to uh, refrain from commenting on that political Facebook post, right? We all have the freedom. It's a free country. You can all post whatever you want on Facebook. You can all comment on anybody's Facebook post you want. But maybe if you care about the relationship with someone or the unity uh, within the church or gospel missionary opportunities, you might just keep that comment in your pocket, right? This time of year. I'm not getting a lot of amens. I hope I haven't hurt your feeling too much. But listen, we don't have, we're not going to change anybody's mind on Facebook anyways. Let's just all be nice, share pictures of our cats and kids and move on. Let's make Facebook great again, all right? All right. You can lay down your rights for the sake of other people to make relationships more harmonious. There's other ways. I think of a, uh, you know, maybe a small example. Uh, Pastor Jeff and I like to go to lunch uh, pretty frequently uh, here in the office. And Pastor Jeff has a, a Japanese restaurant that he's very fond of. And there's just one problem. It's not any good. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Um, the chicken's a little rubbery, the rice is often overcooked, and the sushi tastes like it was made yesterday. And so, uh, but, but Jeff loves it. And I care about Jeff. I love Jeff. I want to protect the harmony in our relationship. And so when he says, let's go there, I say, are you sure? And he says, yeah. And I say, okay, fine. Maybe the 37th time it'll be good. Let's try it one more, one more time. And we go, because I care about the relationship. Christians, mature Christians, I'm the mature one in the relationship. Mature Christians are willing to lay down their rights for people they love. All right? (laughs) That's for sure. He never does. One day I'll get to go where I want for lunch. We'll see. All right. All right, point number three, point number three is this: is there's a cost in speaking. There's a cost in sharing Christ with people, friends. I, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that there's no risk at all in sharing Jesus with people. Than, there's no risk at all in telling people about Christ, about stepping out of your comfort zone, but that's just not true. And I think all of us know that's not true. That's why some of us struggle with sharing our faith with other people. But at the end of the day, in our text, this last section Uh, Paul's willingness to placate the Jews, it was not enough. And his his enemies were so mad at the gospel that he preached, that they stirred up the crowd against him with false accusations, which led him to be beaten by the crowd and ultimately arrested. Verse 31 of Acts 21 says this, As they were trying to kill him, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. And seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander approached, took him into custody, and ordered him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And that's kind of where our story ends this morning, Paul being hauled off to jail. We'll continue next week to see uh, what happens, but this is the cost, the price that Paul pays for proclaiming the gospel. And he's made people so mad that they're beating him up and throwing him in jail. The story is a reminder for us that there's always a risk in proclaiming Christ. For those in countries hostile to the gospel, that risk may very well be the same risk Paul faced, imprisonment or even death. For those here in the States, it may not be as drastic, but there is still a cost. It could hurt you professionally. I know people in this church who've been hurt in their careers because of their outspokenness about their faith. It could hurt your relationships. I know people who have lost friends over their stance for their faith. It could hurt your family, make Thanksgiving a little awkward, for sure. It could cost you something. There's a risk. If you share, bad things might happen. But you know what, church? If you share, good things might happen too. Someone might trust Christ. Someone might cross from death to life. Someone might find freedom from the bondage bondage of sin. Someone might find a future and a hope that they never had before because we shared. So, is there a cost? Yeah. But there's a benefit too. And the benefit far outweighs the risk church. For you business people in here, always doing cost-benefit analysis, this one, sharing wins every time. It's always worth it because of what God may do. Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 10 that speaking is necessary. We have to share. He says this, he says, Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message of Christ. In other words, people cannot trust Christ unless we speak unless we share. God wants to use us. God wants to uh, have us be his instruments to see people put their faith in Jesus. And we have to speak. It doesn't mean you have to be some gifted orator or, or trained theologian. It just means that you have to know the gospel and believe it's true and love someone enough to say something. That's all that's required of us. So I want to encourage you. There is a cost, but it's worth it. As we've been studying this, this passage uh, and even the last couple of weeks uh, of Paul's missionary journeys, one question keeps kind of ringing in my head, and I want to try to wrap up in the next few minutes with, with this idea, is why would Paul do this? Why would Paul go through all of this? Why would Paul be shipwrecked and snake bitten and beaten to the point of death and arrested and put on trial and spend years in jail? Why would he do all of this? What's the point? Why not just stay in one city and just kind of minister faithfully there or, or, or just write a bunch of letters? He's really good at writing letters. You know, why, why, why go through all of this? What's the point? Why would Paul do this? Well, he explains himself. In Philippians chapter three, which is written from jail that he got thrown in right after this episode, Paul writes this. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it here's why. Because I also have been taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. Catch that? I also have been taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus has captivated Paul's heart, and he can't help but say yes when the Lord says go. The Lord has captivated his heart. The reality is Paul understood the gospel to the point where he had no choice but to say yes. Paul knew that he was a broken, sinful man, He knew that he was wicked, and standing before a holy God had no hope. He knew he he didn't have a leg to stand on before the Lord, and that if the Lord said, why should I let you in, Paul wouldn't have a good answer. And he also knew that Jesus, in his grace and mercy, came to earth and lived a perfect life in Paul's place. And then Paul knew that Jesus was crucified on a cross. Unjustly, after living a perfect, sinless life, Jesus died in Paul's place, paying the price for his sins. And Paul knew that he stood now before God, righteous, holy, and pure, in good standing with the eternal Lord of the universe. His eternal destiny secured in heaven, and that drove Paul to everything he did. Paul, that that, that knowledge of the gospel of who Jesus is and what he had done for him flowed out of him to where he could not help but say yes when the Lord called him. And church, that's your story too. If you're a Christian, that's your story as well. If you are in Christ, your story is Paul's story. Paul never got over it. He never got over the gospel. He never moved on past it. And I wonder sometimes if we've gotten over it. I worry sometimes that I've gotten over it, that it's just something I stick in the back of my head, and it doesn't drive the way I live. And I don't want that to be true of us. God can do very little with us until he means everything to us. We've got to be people who are so taken a hold of by the good news of what Jesus has done for us that we can't help but say yes when he calls, no matter what the cost. The point of this sermon today is not to get you to say, God, what do I got to do for you now? That's not the point. If that's what you're taking, you missed it. The point of today's sermon is for you to say, God, how can I fall in love with you more? How can I fall in love with you more? Because people who are taken a hold of by Jesus, when God says, will you go, they don't have to think about it. They say, yes, Lord, send me. I'll go. As we conclude, I have a question for you. Would you be willing to risk what Paul risked for the sake of the gospel? Would you be willing to do what he did, to go where he went, to sacrifice what he sacrificed for the sake of Jesus? And I'm guessing you're in one of three camps, which is going to dictate how you respond today. Camp number one, you're like, yes, send me now. Where am I going? And that means you're somebody that knows who Jesus is and, and what he did for you, and it overflows out of your life, and you can't wait to tell somebody. I would encourage you, your response today is just to ask the Lord, Lord, where are you sending me? I'll go. Where are you sending me? And see if the Lord may not have a work for you. Maybe you're in a second camp, and that camp is someone who's going, there's no way I'm doing that. That's crazy. That's crazy. No chance. And I would encourage you to examine your heart. Where does that come from? In my experience, and I think Scripture will bear this out, people who love the Lord, who are enamored with Jesus and what he's done for them, have no problem saying yes to the Lord. That doesn't mean they're not scared. It doesn't mean that they are, um, you know, totally headstrong into it. But they are willing to say yes. And if you're reluctant to say yes to the Lord, you want to ask yourself, "Am am I really... A part of God's family? Does he really matter to me? Every true Christian wants to see other Christians reach for Christ. So I want you to examine your heart this morning and find out, am I really a part of the family of God? And the last category you may find yourself in, which I think a lot of us find ourselves in, is this. You want to say yes. Lord, I'd go. You want to say yes, but you're like, ah. Makes me a little nervous, right? I'm nervous about what God might call me to do. I'm nervous about where he might send me. Romania sounds pretty scary. Lord, I don't know. I'm nervous about saying yes to you. I want to say yes. I know I should say yes. And there's a part of my heart that says yes, but I don't know. Right? Is that you today? I want to encourage you in two quick ways. One, that's normal. Don't freak out. It's okay. All of us have a war within us. If you're a Christian, the Bible says that we have our spiritual man and our worldly man battling one another. And so that tension that you feel is normal. It's okay. It's okay. I don't encourage you to feed your spiritual man, right? Feed your spiritual man. Spend time meditating on God's word so you can be reminded of who you are in Christ and all that he's done for you. Spend time interacting with God in prayer so that he might cultivate a heart in you for sharing Christ. Meditate on God's word. Study it. Get it in you. So you can get that passion that Paul had into your bones. It's not reserved just for super Christians like Paul. You and I can walk with God deeply like that. My second encouragement for you is this, practice with small steps of obedience. The Lord just just doesn't start with giant steps. Hey, I need you to go to Rome and die for me. He doesn't start there. It starts with a bunch of little steps. Hey, I want you to share with this person. The Lord might put a person on your heart or might call you to pray for somebody or might call you might give to this cause or volunteer in this area. He asks for small steps of obedience. And like a muscle, it gets stronger the more you work it out. And so I want to encourage you to be faithful in the small things. When the Lord calls you to go, to speak, to pray, to do something for him, practice saying yes. Trust the Lord just a little bit to take a little step and then another little step. And what you'll find, as you grow in your faith and your trust in the Lord, he'll begin to have you taking bigger steps and bigger steps and bigger steps. And the next thing you know, you're turning the world upside down for Jesus. Church, God's going to use us as a church family to change the world. I believe it with all my heart. And it starts with us being so enamored with Jesus and who he is and taking small steps of obedience in response to him. i want to pray for us. The band's going to come out. We're going to continue to sing. And as we do, I want you to ask the Lord, what is my next step? What are you calling me to do? Maybe, you're, maybe God's calling you to do something big, to go somewhere, to, to start the mission field. One of our pastors would love to have a conversation with you about that. Or maybe God's calling you to take one small step forward. We'd love to pray with you about that as well. But that's the question I want all of us to answer this morning. God, what are you calling me to do? Is it trust you for the very first time? Is it go to the mission field? Is it somewhere in between? And see what God may say to you. And let's practice church by responding with yes. Let me pray. Lord, we love you so much. We love you because you first loved us. We love you because of what you've done for us. We love you because you laid down your life on the cross for us. God, I thank you for the people in our lives who are obedient to you to share with us, who are obedient to you to go to where we were so that we might know you. And I pray that we would respond in kind. That we would be people whose yes is on the table so that when you ask the question, will you go, we've already answered it, Lord. Give us great faith to trust you. Give us fearlessness because we know you're with us. God, help us to be people who are obedient and faithful because that's who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.